0: Well, our Bible reading this morning is from the Psalms, from the Old Testament Psalms, and we're going to uh, read Psalm 33. If you've got one of the Red Pew Bibles, it's page 560. And as we read, we remember this is God's Word. Sing joyfully to the Lord, you righteous. It is fitting for the upright to praise Him. Praise the Lord with the harp. Make music to him on the ten-stringed lyre. Sing to him a new song. Play skillfully and shout for joy. For the word of the Lord is right and true. He is faithful in all he does. The Lord loves righteousness and justice. The earth is full of his unfailing love. By the word of the Lord were the heavens made. Their starry host by the breath of his mouth... He gathers the waters of the sea into jars. He puts the deep into storehouses. Let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the people of the world revere Him. For He spoke, and it came to be. He commanded, and it stood firm. The Lord foils the plans of the nations. He thwarts the purposes of the peoples. But the plans of the Lord stand firm forever. The purposes of His heart through all generations blessed is the nation whose god is the lord the people he chose for his inheritance from heaven the lord looks down and sees all mankind from his dwelling place he watches all who live on earth he who forms the hearts of all who considers everything they do no king is saved by the size of his army no warrior escapes by his great strength a horse Is a vain hope for deliverance, despite all its great strength it cannot save. But the eyes of the Lord are on those who fear Him, on those whose hope is in His unfailing love to deliver them from death and keep them alive in famine. We wait and hope for the Lord. He is our help and our shield. In Him our hearts rejoice, for we trust in His holy name. May Your unfailing love rest upon us, O Lord even as we have put our hope in You. Amen.
1: Well, can I invite you to open your Bibles with me to Psalm 33 this morning. As we consider this next part in our series, we've been thinking about discovering God, uh, and we're looking at some of His attributes as we work our way through our summer series. Uh, God is uh, not like us, yet He loves us. That's our our sort of tagline as we make our way through. Uh, And I'm sure uh, we're only into our third week, but I'm sure our minds have been stretched. Uh, Certainly, I think I speak for myself and I'm sure for Nigel too. As we have studied for this, it has stretched our minds. Uh, And in preparing for this week, I came across a quote from Martin Luther, and he was writing to Erasmus, and he said this. He said, your thoughts of God are too human. Your thoughts of God are are too human. And I think that's what we're all guilty of. And the hope is that as we make our way through discovering God, this series, that our our thoughts of God will be lifted, our eyes will be lifted, our hearts will be lifted up in praise as we consider how great and how big our God really is, and then give Him all the glory. So, this morning, we're thinking about God being all-powerful, And so whenever we talk about that, whenever we talk about God being all-powerful, it seems very straightforward to us, doesn't it? He is big. We are not. He's strong. We are not. He's in control. We are not. But when we refer to God being all-powerful, it's so much greater than this. There's so much more depth that I hope we'll be able to see today. And sometimes this uh, attribute of God, Him being all-powerful, can be described as this. Uh, it can be described as God's omnipotence. So it'll come up on the screen for us. That's a, a big word, perhaps a word that we're not familiar with this morning. That's okay. For God to be omnipotent, or His omnipotence. Where does it come from? It comes from the Latin. You see it broken down there for us. Omni, meaning all. potent, meaning powerful. So, God is all-powerful. He is omnipotent, or His omnipotence. What does that really mean? What does it mean for God to be all-powerful? Well, this quote from R.C. Sproul will help us as we start to lean into this this morning. Omnipotence is that God has absolute power over His creation. He rules His creation. The creation does not rule Him. God has the entire universe under His control. Now, right from the beginning, this is super good news for us this morning, because if we as human beings are wandering through this world and no one's in control, then surely bedlam should ensue. Why should we obey the law of the land? Why should we do what we're told? Why should we not all go out and take what we want? What is the meaning to life? What's the point of it all? well, the answers to these questions would end up in a radically different place if God is not all-powerful. But the fact that we sit here this morning as Christians, as those who, who trust in the Lord, then for Him to be in control is great news for us. Whatever it is that we face, whatever difficulty or trial comes into our life, to know that the Lord has us in His hand and that He will do exactly what He said He will do, that he will take us to be with himself, and then he will recreate this whole world and we will be with him forever. To know that sustains us through many difficult and dark trials that we meet along the road. So, right from the outset, this attribute of God is radically important for us it shapes our whole world, it shapes the structure of our society, it, it even structures our our laws and our rules. Now you might say to me, John, this word omnipotent or omnipotence does not appear in the scriptures. Where are we getting that from? You would be right, it doesn't appear in the scriptures, but the word almighty does. And so in Revelation 1 and verse 8, the Lord speaks and he says, I am the Alpha and the Omega the one who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. And the Lord refers to Himself at various times throughout the Scriptures as being the one who is Almighty, all-powerful. He is invincible, but we perish. He is supreme, and we're subject. He is unconquerable, unshakable, mighty, and commanding, everything that we are not. Now, as we start to think about power, Jane Wilkin in her book uh, about the attributes of God helpfully points out that we search for this. We, we long for this power. We long for God's all-powerfulness. Now, how do we do that? We do it in lots of different ways. Some of them are, are listed for us uh, and we'll think about here. One way that we try to get power is through our physical strength. We live in a world that lavishes glory on the physically strong, the Olympians, the bodybuilders, the athletes, those who, who we pay millions and millions of pounds worth, or pay sports stars millions and millions of pounds. We put power and strength to those who are physically strong. There's power with those who are beautiful, The beautiful in society exercise a certain amount of power, don't they? They can charm or flirt their way into positions or charm or flirt their way out of speeding tickets whenever the police pull them in. They are able to get an audience with people that perhaps other folks would not be able to. Beauty carries a certain amount of power. Wealth carries power. The wealthy are admired. Their money opens doors and opportunities for them. People want to get to know them and be known by them. Education, it's another form of power. The smarter you are, the more power you will have. Or even if we take it down to another level, gossip. Whenever we find out information about people, it gives us power, it gives us knowledge, and we feel like we have something that others don't. And if we if we scan across all of our advertising in the world that we live in, it pushes us into these various areas, doesn't it? You've got to be physically strong. You've got to join the gym. You've got to become more beautiful. You need to get, I don't know, some string that pulls your face back and plastic that goes into your face and all the various things. You've got to become more beautiful, and that's for the men just as much as the women. You've got you to gotta have wealth. You've got to find money. Whatever it takes, you've got to have money, and money will give you power. You've got to educate yourself, and educate yourself, and educate yourself, and then you'll have power. You see how it changes? It goes on. The world driving us into these areas. And the underlying motif is the pursuit of power, to be in control. That's what we long for. And really... What we're ultimately pursuing is to be God. And at worst we fool ourselves into thinking that we are powerful, that we have control. We see it in our lives, don't we? We boss others around, we go to the restaurant or we go to the, the, the petrol station and what do we do? We're rude to people who serve us at the checkout. We we make demands on others around us as if we are the king or we are the queen, we are entitled, we're arrogant, we're proud. Because we long for power, our sinful hearts corrupt power. Now, as a sideline, not all power is wrong. God has given us power. He's given us it so that we can exercise it in a good way, ways that are pleasing to him. He gives man in the garden right at the beginning rule over creation. He reigns over creation. And so to use power in a way that is consistent with God's will and that brings Him glory is good, but we twist it and we look for it in the wrong places. All of this is to say that the Lord is the source of power. He is the only one that is all-powerful. We long for it, we want it, but we can't have it. The, the, The most that we can do is as little ones, perhaps you remember doing this. You go outside and you, you turn over a stone and you find some uh, little wood lice and you, you gather them up and you put them in a pot and you think that you have control. You have dominion over them. You can put them into the sunlight. You can give them little pieces of grass. You can do whatever you want with them. That's, the, that's really the height of our control, isn't it? We, we can buy groceries and we control whether we put them into the fridge or out of the fridge. We, we switch on a car and we can drive it. There's a certain amount of control. But who's the one that's all-powerful? It's the Lord. Now, I'm going to make that claim. Christianity's going to make that claim that the Lord is all-powerful, but where is the evidence, you might say to me? Where's the evidence? Well, let's go into Psalm 33 and find that this is our first point. God's power is on display in creation. God's power is on display in creation. Have you ever tried to create something from your own voice? Sitting in your bath, first thing in the morning, and you can say, toast all you want, but toast will not appear before you, right? You can say, coffee as loud and as assertive and as many times as you want, but it will not appear. We cannot create. You can ask for money. You can try and say 100 pounds, 100 pounds, 100 pounds. It's not going to come before you. We have no power to create with our voice. We cannot manifest or create from nothing. Our voice has little authority. How do we know that? Well, if I ask Ben, my dog, to sit for more than about three seconds, it won't work, right? My commands don't last long. I don't have the authority to tell the spider to go away. I don't have the authority to tell the birds to fly lower or higher or to stop. Our voices don't carry authority. Look at Psalm 33 and verse 6. By the word of the Lord, the heavens were made. Let's appreciate that. By the word of the Lord, the heavens were made. And by the breath of His mouth, all their hosts see the power, see the authority of our God on display in creation, all that He makes, Him operating outside of the the physics of this world as such. Just got stung by a wasp. (laughs) I don't even have authority over a wasp. There's a really practical demonstration of what it means. (laughs) Do not have authority. I am going to swell up. This is going to be good fun. Okay. <laughs> Bear with me as we make our way through this. Okay. So, <clears throat> the Lord, by His breath, created the mountains of morn. The rocks and the soil, unsleeved, honored. The clay and the stone, all stood to attention and looked to God for direction. Isn't that incredible? Every pebble, every rock, every piece of granite that is in the mourn Mountains looked to the Lord and obeyed His Word. Where shall we go? The cliffs of Muhar, Muhar are His. The giant's causeway is his handiwork. The river band's course was decided by God. And Augustine, St. Augustine called this in Genesis 1, the moment of creation, the divine imperative. The Lord commanded and it happened. The world created by the sheer power of his voice. God is dependent upon no one. He is all-powerful and in and of himself. He doesn't need anyone else. No one can come and add to him. There's no potential in God to get stronger or bigger or more powerful. He is almighty. He is self-sufficient. So, look at Psalm 33, verse 8. What's the response? As the Lord speaks this world into creation, as as he brings it to be, Verse 8, let all the earth then fear the Lord. Let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of him. We are not like him. He is so much greater than us. And as we talk then about God's power, as we look at this, at what he's able to do just by his, his voice, by his breath, to create the beauty of this world, the vastness of it, the You think of all of the chemical reactions in this world, all of the physics that hold it together perfectly, all done in an instant by His voice. Well, then we will say that there's nothing that the Lord cannot do. He will do what He wants, and that is true to an extent. But as a slight aside, there are some things that God cannot do. God cannot lie. God cannot steal. He cannot change. And so God, yes, can do many things, but there's some things that He can't do. He can't go against His own character. If you'd like to hear more about that, there is a book called Twelve Things God Can't Do, and it's super for us to think about. So, here is the Lord in Psalm 33. It starts off with great praise. Then we hear about what He has done, and all the earth stands in awe of Him. Verse 9, He spoke, and it came to be. He commanded, and it stood firm, even the very rocks. God's power on display in creation for us all to see. Then I want to take us to God's power demonstrated for us in redemption. It's on display in creation, then demonstrated in redemption. If you or I had unlimited power today, I wonder what we would do with it. It wouldn't be a good picture because we know that, quote, all power tends to corrupt, and absolute power corrupts absolutely. What would we be like? Well, whenever it comes to God and His omnipotence, His all-powerfulness... It's not something that we need to fear if we have trusted in the Lord. We'll think more about this, but look at verses 1 through 5 of Psalm 33. The response to or the beginning of this psalm as they think about God's all-powerfulness is not to sit back, it's not, not to sit still, it's not to stay silent. Instead, verse 1, shout for joy. The Lord is all-powerful give thanks to the Lord with lyre and with the harp. Sing to him a new song. The Lord is upright. You see? His power has not corrupted him. Verse 4, all of his works is done in faithfulness. He loves righteousness and justice. The earth is full of the steadfast love of the Lord. He's all-powerful but that's not something that we need to worry about as Christian people. Instead, we shout for joy. He's not corrupted. Instead, his power enables him to display the beauty of his character. Now, let's think about that. What does that mean? If you imagine God's power to be like the the engine in the steam train, right at the front, and his power is, is hurtling along, and what does it bring behind It brings the other attributes, love and mercy and grace and forgiveness. Now, it's it's God's power that carries it along. It's His power that enables us to see it. It shows us the beautiful array and reveals to us the beauty of God's character, of who He is. And we see this in Redemption. Redemption in the history of redemption. Let's think about it. In the garden, God could have responded to Adam and Eve by doing what? By vaporizing them. And yet, what does He do in His power? He had the power to crush them, but in His power, He shows them grace and mercy. His love is on display. And think of all the twists and all of the turns through the Old Testament, through faithfulness and unfaithfulness. God has what? He has the opportunity to crush His people. He is all-powerful. He could do it in an instant. And yet, what does He choose to do? Through His power, He's choosing to give them grace and love. Jacob, what does He do for him? He provides him with sons, And then he provides for them through one of the sons, Joseph. With barren women throughout the Old Testament, what does he do? He brings forth a child. Whenever it comes to Egypt and with Pharaoh, what does he do? The Lord works by ten signs and wonders to let his people go. To lead them through a sea into sanctuary. See his power at work being demonstrated for us in redemption. Through the wilderness, he provides a a pillar of cloud by day. We were thinking about this a few weeks ago. The the power to do that, the ability to do that, to sustain a cloud that carries people through the day, and then a a pillar of fire through the night with no fuel. He, He provides enough manna every day for breakfast and for lunch and for dinner. There's water supplied to his people from a rock. But as we start to chart this, we think, well, John, that's okay for the Old Testament. God's demonstrating His power and redemption in the Old Testament, and we start to doubt. We start to doubt if God is all-powerful. As we look at our television screens, we think to ourselves, John, there's no way. We see what's happening around our world, and we think, God has lost the reins. Come, come back with me to Numbers. I think this will be really helpful for us. Come back with me into Numbers chapter eleven. To doubt God, to doubt his work, his ability, it's it's nothing new. In Numbers chapter eleven, I want us to go to verse eighteen. And the Lord speaks to Moses, and remember now where they are. The Lord has led them out of Egypt. He has provided for his people in miraculous ways. Then Numbers chapter 11 and verse 18. And said to the people, Consecrate yourselves for tomorrow, and you shall eat meat. And you have wept in the hearing of the Lord. For you have wept in the hearing of the Lord, saying, Who will give us meat to eat? for it was better for us in Egypt. Therefore, the Lord will give you meat, and you shall eat. And you shall not just eat one day, or two days, or five days, or ten days, or twenty days, but a whole month, until it comes out of your nostrils and becomes loathsome to you, because you have rejected the Lord who is among you, and have wept before Him, saying, Why did we come out of Egypt? But Moses said, the people among whom I am numbered, 600,000 on foot, and you have said, I will give them meat that they may eat for a whole month. Shall flocks and herds be slaughtered for them and be enough for them? Or shall all the fish of the sea be gathered together for them and be enough for them? The Lord said to Moses, is the Lord's hand shortened. Now you shall see whether my word will come true for you or not. The Lord says, I'm going to feed the people. It is, it's an interesting part. The people have said, it's better to have been in Egypt. The Lord says, I'm going to give you meat. I'm going to give you so much meat that you're going to get sick of eating it for a whole month. You're going to have so much meat, it's going to come out of your nostrils. You're going to be dripping and fillet steak, as it were. And Moses turns around to the Lord and he says, I write, where where are the flocks? Where are the herds? Where where are you going to get all this meat from, Lord? And then that wonderful phrase that the Lord speaks in verse 23 is the Lord's hand shortened. He's referring to his strong right arm. Isn't that how the Bible talks about his salvation in the Old Testament? that the the strong right arm of the Lord reaches for His people? The strong right arm works salvation for His people? Is the Lord's hand shortened? Absolutely not. Will the all-powerful God bring this to be? Yes, He will. Does God still rule and reign in our world today? Absolutely. Do nations and kings and kingdoms think that they rule? Of course they do. Verse 10 of Psalm 33 As we read with the boys and girls, the Lord brings the counsel of the nations to nothing. He frustrates the plans of the people. The counsel of the Lord stands forever. His arm is strong as He works redemption. Verse 13, the Lord looks down from the heaven. And he sees the children of man. From where he sits enthroned, he looks out on all the inhabitants of the earth. He who fashions the hearts of them all and observes all of their deeds, the Lord sitting on his throne, watching over his creation. And look at the the foolishness of the world. Verse 16, the king is not saved by his great army. China or Russia or the United Kingdom or the United States will not be saved by her aircraft carriers or by their nuclear submarines or by the the special forces that they train. A warrior is not delivered by his great strength. The war horse is a false hope for salvation. And by its great might, it cannot rescue the Lord displays throughout history that kingdoms rise and kingdoms fall, people come and people go, and yet He is at work demonstrating His power in redemption, saving His people. God's arm does not willer. Behold, he who watches over Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade on your right hand the sun shall not strike you by day, nor the moon by night. He will keep your life. And so, the right arm of God that brought His people out of Egypt is the right arm that worked salvation for us. He has no rival. He has no equal. There's not going to be a showdown between God and God, Uh, the powers of darkness, and we're not going to sit and watch it through our fingers, thinking, who's going to win? We're not sitting with our our fingers crossed, hoping that God will have the final victory. He already has had it through His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. He is all-powerful. And then we see, verse 18, behold, the eye of the Lord is on those who fear Him. God's power in display, on display in creation, demonstrated in redemption, and then applied, our final point, applied through His Son, the Lord Jesus. His power applied through His Son, the Lord Jesus. Here's the temptation. As we look at a great and mighty and marvelous God this morning, we can think to ourselves, well, where do we really fit into this? we're so insignificant, we're we're little pieces in this great world. Would God really be interested in me? Does He care about me? Well, we need to know this, that God is both King and Father for us. He is both King and Brother for us. Francis Schaeffer famously said, there are no little people before our big God. There are no little people. And God uses His power precisely to show us that He cares. Precisely to show us this morning that we are important to Him. And He shows us that perfectly whenever He sends a son for us. The second member of the Godhead sent to earth. Think about this. It's the the power of God that comes upon the Virgin Mary, isn't it? It's the power of God that was at work in creation that Luke describes for us in Luke chapter 1 and verse 35. The Holy Spirit, the angel says to Mary, will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. And therefore, the child to be born will be called holy. All powerful. Omnipotence comes wrapped in swaddling clothes and placed in a feeding trough of animals. Omnipotence. Right there in Bethlehem. No palace, no throne, no scepter. Omnipotence laid out upon straw. Why? Because God cares for us. He cares so much that He sent His only Son that whosoever would believe in Him should have eternal life. He loves us and demonstrates His power so that He sends His Son to suffer and to die so that sinners can be forgiven and reconciled. He has done this for you and for me. That is the power that is at work in redemption. Personalized to us, applied to us in the Lord Jesus Christ. In love, as we've been thinking about in Ephesians, in love He predestined us for adoption according to the purpose of His will, to the praise of His glorious grace. And so, one commentator says, it could not be clearer who the master architect behind our salvation is. The same power that created the whole world on display then in Jesus Christ, the Son of God. What did Jesus do whenever he arrived on earth? He he came to a great storm. Who would have the authority like this? That as this great storm burls in around him and his disciples, so much so that experienced fishermen think they're about to die. And what does Jesus say? It's as if he commands a dog and he says, down boy. Instantly. Instantly. Instantly, the waves fade, and the wind obeys him. All he has to do is shush it, shh, and the wind stops. Who has power like that? Only the Son of God. He has power to summons the water to uphold him as he walks across it, he is the power to heal the blind and to give them sight. He has power to, to bring the lame back to strength. He has power to heal the bleeding. He has power to cast out the demons. He has power to bring the dead back to life, as he calls Lazarus out of the tomb. He has power to bring people from dust back to life. Power to bind up broken hearts. Power to heal deep wounds. Power to wash away every stain of sin. Power to set the captive free. Power to save all who call upon His name. Power to wipe away every tear from our eyes. Power to create the world anew. Verse 8. Let all the earth fear the Lord. Let the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of him. Jesus is able to do what he says he will do. And that means he's able to save us, each and every one of us. Even though our bodies start to crumble and our fingers start to swell because of wasps, he's able to do what? to save us to the uttermost, to give us eternal life, the all-powerful God who will create this world, who gives us a future that is worth getting excited about, who will take our sin and wash it away, whatever mistakes and whatever failings we have made this week or in our life that we think we're beyond the pale. Jesus says, come to me. I'll wash it away. I'll make you new. The power of God on display in creation through redemption and applied to us in His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. So what do we do? What's our response? Well, the end of the psalm, verse 20, our soul then waits for the Lord. He is our only help and our shield. And whatever it is that we face, as we wait, as we pray for His help, our heart is glad. Glad in Him because we trust His holy name. His steadfast love, His covenantal love is upon us and we hope in Him. I trust that Whatever situation it is that you find yourself in, we all find ourselves in different situations, but that's our response to our all-powerful God. We wait for you. You are our help. You are our shield. Our heart is glad in you. Your steadfast love is upon us, and we hope in you. Our God reigns. The Almighty reigns,
0: and we can rest in Him today. Let's